0: And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN Audio, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. I
1: hope you had a good rest from electoral politics because, guess what, we're rounding the corner to the presidential campaign. Candidates and prospective candidates are beginning to make the rounds, and one of them is Chris Sununu, the maverick Republican governor of New Hampshire. We sat down this week to talk about his very interesting life journey as a second-generation politician and about this upcoming race and where he thinks a non-conforming Republican like himself would fit in. Governor Sununu, it's good to see you.
2: Uh, David, it is
1: great to be seen. And I'm in New York. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> I should be in New York. Uh, I'm in Chicago. Long story. Don't want to burden my listeners with it, but you heard it as to why I'm not in New York. But hopefully we'll be in the same place again sometime soon. So listen, uh, there's plenty to talk about, but I, before we get to all of that, I just want to get a sense more about your own story. Uh, going way back when, because I of I can't imagine, I've done 518 of these conversations. And I don't think I ever interviewed a Lebanese Greek Salvadoran on my podcast before. So tell me a little bit about that and your family.
2: Well, sure. So, uh, it's a combination. So, uh, my mom is full Irish and my, uh, father is basically half Lebanese and half Greek. And the family emigrated, uh, over from the middle East to, uh, El Salvador, a little bit to Costa Rica and in Mexico. And my, my grandparents were married to Mexico and people don't realize my father, as a lot of folks know, uh, the former, former governor and white house chief of staff, you grew up in a Spanish speaking household, right? You know, in Queens, right, right, right down the road here. I'm, um, I'm here in New York trying to sprinkle a little of the live free or die uh, fairy dust into the uh, People's Republic of New York today. But, yeah, he grew up in in Queens, and then he went to MIT. I I was an MIT guy as well and an engineer there and met my mom, who was uh, at BU. And then – I think this. as he tells the story, he was living just outside of Boston, and they, they came up to New Hampshire, and he was like, oh, Massachusetts and these these taxes. And I uh, didn't want to <laughs> go back, so they just stopped, found a lot, and uh, I grew up in, in Salem, New Hampshire. And that's I'm one of eight kids. I'm number seven. So I know. Kids. I wanted yeah. to ask
1: you about that. I, I, I figure if you're one of eight kids, one of two things happen. Either you're very quiet or you're very noisy. Both, yeah. I was super shy. People don't really, I was
2: crazy. I was that kid that wrapped himself around his mother's leg uh, everywhere we went as uh, as kids. And being number seven of eight, like I wasn't the baby, so I didn't get the attention or anything, which was fine. <laughs> but uh, but I've I kind of I don't know how and why exactly, but I broke through kind of the shyness and became a bit of a of a, a loud extrovert, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, a charming one though.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. We'll it, be the it, judge of that.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, and and so I I, I, I love people. I love being with people. I love their stories and i love hearing what the heck is going on and i was i was an engineer right i'm a i was a civil and an, mostly an environmental engineer so i i cleaned up hazardous waste sites across the country for a dozen years or so yeah and uh and then i went to the more of the business side of things i yeah you ran a resort i did i put like how did yeah, i go from engineer to to buying a ski resort so i put an investment uh, group now
1: i think white mountains lotus is that what it was called
2: I uh, <laughs> No, that would have been a good name,
1: though. Yeah, well, we now, of yeah. course.
2: I'm not, but family's still involved. But as governor, I have to kind of, I, I ran that for six years. I put the group together, bought it. it was uh-huh. a four-season, res- a storied four-season resort in New Hampshire. So uh ran that uh, and did that for six years. And, and that uh, ultimately got me to realize um, the live, or die state is very overregulated as a business owner. Um, and my kids were starting to go to school. And I thought, well, these aren't the public schools that I grew up in. They're not terrible. Good, really good schools in New Hampshire. But there was something a little different as a parent. So in New Hampshire, when you think things are different and you want to make a change, go make a change. Anybody can run for office in New Hampshire. And that's the beauty, beauty and the secret sauce. Yeah, how how big is
1: your legislature?
2: 400 members. 400. And how many Republicans and how many Democrats do you think we have?
1: You know, I should know the answer to this. Two hundred one to one ninety nine. Yeah, which says actually, it really does speak to the politics of your state. We're purple. I, I just want to, yeah, and I want to, uh, I want to talk about that in a minute because I actually think that is really advantageous in some ways uh, when it comes to actually learning how to govern. But before we get there, I wanted to talk. Y- your dad was a mechanical engineer. You pointed out he went yeah. to MIT and he taught at Tufts for years. Yeah, yeah he was a, a professor or assistant dean of, of engineering at Tufts for a long time. And he, he he served, I think, one term in the New Hampshire legislature with yes. those other uh, 399 yeah. people. <laughs> and then he ran four times for different offices uh, and two times for the state senate, one for the executive council in your state, and then I think one for the U.S. Senate. U.S. Senate, senate? Yeah, what a loo- yeah. And he kept losing. What a loser. Yes. So what did he? Uh, <laughs> what, what is it about that? that where he didn't at some point say, maybe they don't like me maybe I shouldn't do this I mean, no, do, do,
2: look that's not New Hampshire New Hampshire look the unique aspect of New Hampshire is our system we're, we're not like any other state whereas we have massive amounts of voter participation whether it's on the school board or the, he was the, on the planning board for, for years and when you have eight kids uh, my mom was on the school board because that's really a yes, smart
1: thing to do probably for decades
2: <laughs> yeah and most of our taxes and most of our, our the influence you can have is all at a very localized level that's why we, we're ranked as having the most efficient government in the country because we We keep things so local. So even if you lose a couple races, it's okay. You just, you run again and you don't need millions of dollars or anything like that. Look, you want to run for the House of Representatives, uh, 50 bucks, go to Kinko's, make a bunch of photocopies, knock on a bunch of doors. Each representative represents about 3,500 people, right? So you can literally knock on every door four or five times over the course of election, look people in the eye, get to know them, tell them what you're about and win. And that's what it takes to be part of a very effective public process. So it's not like, oh, I lost. I can't do it again. I need the power brokers to help. And that's not about that. It's about folks that just want to stand up and, and work hard and, and get elected. And he, he he was a great governor. I was a kid at the time. But he was he
1: was known as, a, as a, re- a three-term really great governor. Obviously, if he ran all those times, there must have been some discussion about politics in the House, right?
2: Uh, the, look, the battle was more about Yankees versus Red Sox because he grew up in Queens and the rest of us were Red Sox fans, <laughs> to be honest. that that. Um, that, that now, oh, that's course. hardcore,
1: yeah. hardcore debate right there.
2: Find me a New Hampshire family where politics isn't discussed constantly. We uh-huh. It is in our blood. It's in our yes. DNA. And it isn't, I'm right, you're wrong. We need to defeat them, blah, blah. You know, it's passionate. But it's all very civil because it's mostly local, right? The toughest political battles you will have in New Hampshire are literally with your neighbor over how uh, at town meeting over uh, how we should fund schools and what should be done in schools and what's going on with the teacher's contract and whether we should have a, a trash pickup on Wednesday or Friday. That is where all these these really uh, whether they're small and minor or very significant decisions. The majority of them are made at a local level. And that's that's state We voters shouldn't have the power. We say voters have the power. Uh, one day a year on election day. No, no, no. Voters need to have the power constantly and be reaffirmed and and, and re-supported with their their ability to f- design the best system that meets their community's needs. Do I agree with every decision every town makes? No. Do I agree with every decision every school board makes? Heck no. Could I ask the legislature to come down on them and change that and put my thumb on the skills? I could. But the most important aspect of, of leadership and power is knowing the limitations and and respecting that eh, the best process is a localized one. The best one is that the voters know better than even than I do uh, for their local decisions and issues. And and you have to stay true to that. It's hard. It it takes discipline.
1: You know, the uh, picture you paint is a really wholesome one. Somehow, uh, and I think the pandemic had something to do with it, there's been a real, it feels like, politicization of school board races around the country. Like oh, yeah. That. And um, really with an ideological bent to it. Does that worry you?
2: A little bit. So I think, look, I, around the we've been having those fights in, in New Hampshire for 200 years, right? And we see it all the time. Now, when I see the rest of the country kind of engaging at that level, uh, we've been doing it uh, for quite a while. I think there's a little bit of a learning curve in terms of, you know, you, you fight hard, you fight passionately. But when you don't get what you want, it doesn't mean you ask somebody to blow the whole system up or you stop the whole process. Uh, you come back next year and you, you fight again, whether it's for a school board member you want or something going on in the classroom or the curriculum that you want to see. Parents in New Hampshire... You know, uh, Glenn Youngkin uh, very famously said, parents matter, and it turned mm-hmm. his campaign around, and he did a great job, a great governor in Virginia. But I, I, I joked to him, I said, yeah, boy, I love that you another state is talking about parents matter because we've been doing it for 200 years. So yeah. I'm optimistic in that there's a little learning curve there.
1: The, the issue really isn't to me so much that, of course, parents matter. The question is whether politicians should be mucking around. In the politics of the of the schools and whether they should become sort of the, uh, the the cauldron through which some of these big political issues and, you know, book bannings and oh, the kinds yeah, of things that yeah. are inflaming our communities. Right. Now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, look, if, like let's take it a, a school board member. Right. I guess technically they're a politician. They're running for office. So, yeah, the school board should have a lot of say in, in, in what's going on within the schools. And they have to be accountable to that. And if they're not doing a good job, you should fire them. And mm-hmm. if the community decides not to fire them, then that's fine. The that, that community must agree that something's moving forward. I can't tell you the number of people who call me after a school board race and say, you know, we didn't win that race, so you should pass a law that does X, Y, and Z to basically step on top of, of whatever you know, loss had, had just happened. It's like, no, 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 no. Well, that's not the way we roll. I'm sorry you didn't get what you want. It's not what I would have wanted either. But you win some, you lose some. And if you have a good argument to make to your, your community and your neighbors, then go make it. And go fight that fight and, and let's find better candidates or, or better arguments to make. But there are very liberal cities and towns in New Hampshire that I massively disagree with. Look, if the if the safety of a student is at bear, of course you gotta step in and make sure students mm-hmm. are safe and all that. But The state doesn't say, here's going to be all your curriculum guidelines. Here's exactly what you're going to teach in your classroom. Here's how teachers are going to manage day-to-day. We do not do that at the state level. The citizens have all the power. That's all the funding. Not all, but two-thirds of the funding comes from your local. The only taxes we really have are property taxes. And we do that because you have a direct say every year in how every dollar is spent, not the state. I don't decide how a single dollar of property tax is spent. I don't control your property taxes. You do. Now, we provide money on top of that in terms of education, and we provide guidelines. We've got a great board of education. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of the most important decisions are made at a local level and that's kind of unique to a lot of folks, and uh but you know this' the way we've been doing it, and it's why we're so efficient
1: i I want to go backward for a second because your your dad got elected governor,, yeah. and then he went to Washington. And he was the White House House (laughs) Chief of Staff. And you went too, right? You were in high school there for...
2: I was. I was a TJ kid. Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology uh, in Northern Virginia. I did my four years there. We're stunk. I didn't like leaving New Hampshire, but, you
1: know. Well, the other element of it is your dad was a very public figure. and, And, you know, the Washington area is really a very small town in its own way, very insular. The conversation is very much about what's going on in that town. And uh, and he was in the and he was in the midst of a couple of uh, of controversies. One was he uh, helped uh, President Bush pass a economic program in 1990 that included some tax increases, and that created a huge backlash. Bush having promised not to raise taxes, I would argue it probably laid some of the groundwork for the economic growth of the next decade. I remember uh, I was on a plane with Lynn Martin, who was the secretary of labor at the time. And she said, you know, the sad thing is Bush probably laid the groundwork for uh, a really good economic decade and he's going to get punished for it
2: well yeah look there was a massive recession in the banking crisis of 90 and 91 right. and there was a huge recession he had done a great job with the war obviously I'm I'm a huge George HW Bush yeah am yeah. just I, such an admirer such a statesman and a gentleman. yes, yeah and Barbara I mean just everything you want in leadership whether you agree politically or not it, yeah. it is what, what what you want in leadership and my dad was the outsider right he was he was the um the engineer the MIT engineer governor um, kind of super smart I mean try bringing a, a B home on your report card to that guy right but but <laughs> crazy smart photographic memory and but he was the outsider and um never really clicked with washington um for a lot of obvious reasons but was a, a loyal and passionate defender of the president and i think he, he ran a very very uh, strong white house as a lot of subsequent chief of staffs did and yeah it was just for me i was just, look, i was a teenager right last i was trying to deal with teenage stuff
1: yeah he did get caught up in a deal where he was uh Came under assault for his use of planes flying back to Boston. Oh yeah, he, and he, so.
2: he flew home for like a toothache or something, and or something like that. I mean, it's something that like is just happens literally every day now. But at the time, look, the press, he and the press never got along, and so the mm-hmm. press uh, clearly had it out for him. There's no doubt about it. And when there was a uh, little blood in the water, the the sharks pounced. But uh, so how
1: did that how did that impact on you?
2: Not easy. Not uh, look. I, again, I'm a new I was just a New Hampshire kid that was kind of thrown into the midst, and all of a sudden. The first few years were were fine and he had long nights, especially during the first Gulf War and all that. But as the whether you want to call it the controversy or his name starts sparking up on the front page of the Washington Post, I went to a pretty nerdy high school. Yeah. Like everybody read the Washington Post in the hallways yeah. of my high school.
1: So there's no no hiding.
2: No, there was no hiding at all and, and that was really, really tough and, and I I mean I never wanted to enter politics, not just because of that, but I, I never thought like that. I don't want to be in this sphere. I don't want to drag my family through it. And it wasn't until I was running my own business and then and, and my kids were going to public schools. I came up through public schools in New Hampshire. My kids were coming up through public schools. I said, ah, this is a little different. I think we can make it better. And I had some executive leadership that I wanted to bring to bear. And, and that's ultimately why I, I ran for governor. But And we've been great.
1: Your, your brother, your older brother, was a congressman, yes. uh, was a senator was it always the notion that he was going to be the politician in the family and
2: oh no look i think well look it's again it's new hampshire right so my dad my brother and i three of 10 of us entered politics which is actually below average for new hampshire so it isn't like oh you're going to be the politician or, or whatever it is everybody in 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 the family and in, in most families and if i have a brother on the state on his town budget committee and another one's a selectman and this and that mm-hmm. Look, one thing in New Hampshire we try to instill, regardless of your political party, you have to tithe your time. You have to give back in some way. Donate at, uh, your time at a food bank. Become a school teacher. Become a nurse. Give blood. Run for office. What? Find your thing. And give back because it ain't about you. And and that's kind of my, my mother and father instilled a real sense of humbleness in all of us and, and said, look, you have to give. You, you can, you know, have your family in your business and do whatever you're going to do, but you always have to find a path to give back. And uh, so that was just instilled in us
1: one way or the other. When you think back to your experience with your high school, in your high school mm-hmm. when your dad was taking those hits and you were impacted by it, you have a family of your own. yeah. Was that a consideration for you? Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely. And it's it's so much worse now because of social media, right? There was no mm-hmm. social media. There was no t- even texting. There were no cell phones, for goodness sakes. Yeah. You know, everything was, was quite normal. So, um, no... Understanding the how the family, how, what you want to do in the public sphere, and how it affects your family is is absolutely critical. And uh, but again, it's New Hampshire, and it's a, a step we could take. And the, my family and my wife and kids have been very supportive. Um, it's tough on them, especially during the pandemic. That was a whole different ball game because all of a sudden government disappears completely, except for fifty governors and basically mm-hmm. fifty governors and the White House are running everything uh, during the pandemic and having to make some some tough decisions. Now we navigated, I think, in New Hampshire very, very well. I'm blessed with a wonderful team. You know, We were ranked for number one in personal freedoms, but we we're also one of the safest states in the country at the same time. So we were able to really walk, I think, a balance. And most importantly, I was out there every single day. And I realized early on, transparency is the foundation of public trust. And in a crisis, you need that public trust. And so being super transparent, answering every question every day, all the time, and being very accessible was the biggest Asset we had to keeping the temperature down and not letting things get out of control like you saw in other states, but that all comes at the price of family uh, because there was so much scrutiny on 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 every little thing you did and it did all 100 percent fall on my shoulders. I didn't have a legislature to lean on. Um, you know they they disappeared as 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 did most and even the federal legisl- <laughs> the federal Congress disappeared mm-hmm. right after I think April they decided not to do anything on the pandemic until December of, of that year, complete uh, completely objecting their their responsibilities, but. Be that as it may, tough on family, and always a consideration in terms of what you do. You, they got to be with you or not.
1: On the pandemic, you did get very high marks for your handling of of uh, of that. But it was you weren't exactly unscathed by it. There were you had crazies in your own state. Oh sure, yeah.
2: Oh absolutely. Look, I had protesters outside my house.
1: Didn't you have to shut down your inauguration? Sort
2: of, yeah. So uh, my inauguration, I get elected in twenty. We're just releasing the vaccines and all that, and I'm not—I don't support mandates or anything. But we made the—we got the vaccines out really fast. We were—you weren't an anti
1: vaxxer that's for sure. Oh God, no, 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 no,
2: no, no! No, You you should get—and by the way, you should all get your boosters. I mean, they—they do work, regardless of what people say. So, um, but we had, yeah, there were some threats. There were some people that were really, really fired up at the time, and you know. We didn't want to do the inauguration inside at the time, so I said, "No yes. big deal. We'll do it outside. We'll do it on the State House lawn, and you know, we'll have everybody out there." Even if it's New Hampshire, it's cold. We know yeah. how to handle it. And um, ultimately, it wasn't a, a singular direct threat, but it, I think it was state police and enough folks saying, "Look, it's going to be really hard to secure this thing. It, 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 you know, do we really have to do this?" And I said, "No, I'm not here to make problems, and it's not fanfare." Fair for me, as much as to say thank you to the state. So, and
1: there, I think there was a group I forget what they were called who was particularly. I got a couple names from David. You want me? To... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think the ones. I was talking about the ones they called themselves, not the ones. Um, we called well, them. they're
2: not. They, see, they're not free staters per se. I uh, resolve, or I, I don't even uh-huh. know.
1: I, they, you know, it's one but of these. But they, they were. They or... were menacing the. The things. So. They
2: were. And they were look, they were they had been at my house protesting. It was clear they were going to protest. And look, you want to protest? That's fine. I have no problem if you want to come and protest in in a public place like the State House. If you do it safely and responsibly and you make your mm-hmm. voice heard and there's nothing threatening. Coming to my house is a different story. I don't I don't live in a governor's mansion, David. I, I live in the same house for twenty years. I live on the cul-de-sac. I got the same cell number I've had for twenty years. Accessibility is one of the greatest tools that as a governor I think you can provide your state as opposed to living in, you know, behind entourages and fences and all of that it comes with risk and it comes with a sacrifice to the family and everything but there's always been uh, an unwritten rule that if we provide accessibility as elected leaders in new hampshire you'll respect our privacy well that was violated and so um it was a tough time for me and the family it, t- it happened to coincide with the inauguration so we said "Ah, we'll do a small event uh, inside and, and we kept it there
1: we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with more of the axe files
2: Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And now, back to the show. You talked earlier about being a purple state. Talk about the challenges and the opportunities, but particularly the challenges of governing in an era of polarization, the era of Trump. I mean, is it better to be in a purple state? you have, if you know how to do it, it's a, it's an amazing
2: opportunity. So, uh, pe- like, let's look at the, what's happening. Federal people say, well, it's, it's, it's such a closely divided house; they'll never get anything done. Look, I've had Republicans run my legislature. I've had Democrats run my legislature, and I literally have a House of Representatives that is pretty much dead even, depending on on the attendance of any given day. We always get stuff done. I've gotten school choice done. I've gotten the most innovative. Voluntary paid family leave plan in America done. Full day fund uh, funding a full day kindergarten. Rebuilding our entire opioid system and mental health system. You know, bucking the national trends on on some of those really negative dynamics. We're we're showing a model that works. We're, we're able to do it all, regardless of who's there. Because I'm very. I'm more an executive. I'm very proud of our ability to negotiate. And sometimes I have to negotiate with my own party, sometimes with Democrats, um, sometimes with my own staff, (laughs) frankly, in terms of where we want to go. And and does it mean you can get everything you want all the time? No, of course not. That should never be an expectation. Um, It means you give a little to get a lot and i've i've been very good about uh, about being able to do that i get along personally with pretty much everybody on the other side of the aisle we disagree we have some pretty vicious fights both publicly and privately uh but i do as well within the republican party people know where i stand i'm a more of a Look, I, I believe very strongly in individual freedoms and liberties. I'm a very strong on the Second Amendment. I'm a fiscal hawk. I believe there's no greater responsibility than managing other people's money because you earned it, not me. You gave that sacrifice. You spent time away from your family, not me. But you've entrusted me to spend your time and your sacrifice responsibly. And so I focus very hard on super efficient government. And we've been able to do that. And I, when you do it with the right tone, um, and the right, uh, hopefully with some positivity and hopefully inspiring folks and convincing them to come on to your side and what can I do to help you? And it isn't, you don't compromise your principles. You don't come up, compromise what you're about, but you can always find ways where you can give a little to get what you really need done. And, and we've been very successful with it. So I, while people get annoyed that it's too close of a, of a split house federally, I think good leadership can get that done. They really can. I think it starts from the White House, right? It starts from the executive position. I personally don't think Joe Biden's done a very good job of that at all. Um, I if got, a, curious, you got a bunch
1: of bipartisan stuff done last year. Improbably. He did.
2: He did. Um, uh, well, so this is the other thing I'll say. I think you'll the, accept I, the
1: infrastructure money, I assume.
2: Well, you, well, you say a bunch. I say four things. Right. Yeah. So I, I think, I think U.S. Congress and the U.S. Senate have set the bar so low, set expectations so low, they get one or two things done a year, and we're giving them p- big pats on the back. It's like, come on, guys. Well, these were big
1: I mean, I'm not look. I'm They're not, big uh, things. They were big things. The infrastructure. No. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of presidents would have loved to have gotten that done. That Chips bill, bunch of presidents would have liked to get that, mm. that done. A bipartisan gun bill. Uh you know, there were there mm. were a series of things. But but, 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 but if I may, David, yeah. there's no immigration reform. There's no health care reform. There's
2: no fiscal discipline. There's no balanced budget. The, all of these things that, as Repu- at least as Republicans in 17 and 18, we were promised. We had the whole thing. We didn't get it done. Democrats talk about we're, we're not getting it done. So those are, I mean, immigration reform is a big one. I mean, there's yeah. such an opportunity there. And most people, well, an, you can an, find an a lot of opportunity and a need. Them. And a need, a desperate need. It, it affects our workforce, our economy, our security, the opioid crisis. I mean, it all trickles down, but it has to start with a secure border and a, a good, appropriate legal immigration system so the best and the brightest of the world can be here. They want to be here. We need them
1: here, yeah. right?
2: But you got to have a system that, is, that has the right controls in place.
1: No, look, I, uh, I think that the idea of discouraging immigration and kind of sh- sh- throttling it down... Is an economic death wish for the country We have yes. always prospered from the renewal of generations of immigrants, your family, my family first generation. so uh, I feel strongly that way. but what about uh what about the people who are here the the dreamers to start with? yeah.
2: Well, look, are you going to deport? Are you saying are are we going to deport millions and millions of people? No, obviously that that's not going to happen. But you have to have a process, a structure. Uh, You have to be able to clear out these backlogs. I mean, you're going to have people that are technically on a list to see a judge in 2027. That's just not practical. Right. So I'm not going to lay out exactly what the plan is, but there's got to be a plan. And and there is definitely enough Republicans and enough Democrats to say, look, we're not going to get everything we want. But can we all agree to secure the border? Yes. Can we all agree into creating a system and allowing our border agents to do what they do best and actually you know, pre- pre- present that security and, and allow them to do their jobs? Absolutely. And then what's the the legal immigration system we're going to have. It should be a, a simplified system, so it's not overly complex, but one that has accountability and control, so you're not letting just anybody, the mm-hmm. cartel and all that. But yeah. the opioid crisis is is the biggest issue, and, and I'm getting crushed by it. Yeah. Well, we were in New Hampshire. We're more middle of the pack now, but we
1: were at the tip of the spear of this I remember. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it was brutal. It was brutal. I remember. You know, I do remember, And I guess it was 2013 when the Senate passed the. Comprehensive immigration reform bill, Republicans and Democrats, 68 votes in the Senate. They wouldn't take it up in the House.
2: Can you believe it? What a missed. Would we be having the same conversation about our border today? And I get it. They wanted to build the wall. I get no problem building a wall. I have no problem securing a border. Absolutely. But again, it has to come with these other controls. So you, they should have been negotiating harder. And I, I think with better leadership, whether it's out of the White House or leadership in the House and Senate, they could have gotten it done. But it seemed like everyone threw up their hands and said everyone had a red line that that could not be crossed. And they were all getting crossed. Um, you don't throw up your hands and say, well, I guess it's not going to happen. We'll see you in four years. No, 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 no. You go back to the drawing table. You let a uh, motion simmer down. Maybe you come back to it in another month. They did that with healthcare. Healthcare, the famous John McCain, right? He, he puts his thumb mm-hmm. down on the healthcare bill. It loses by one vote on the Senate side. And all I hear is, well, I guess that's that. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about, man? In New Hampshire, if we miss something by a vote, we just bring everyone back into the room and we. Have the discussion again. We figure out how to revive yeah. well, this. Well, isn't thing. it? it
1: Wasn't it kind of essential to have an alternative plan, like a real yeah, alternative of plan? Of course, you need you. Look, I, I'm an
2: engineer. I, I I love redesigning systems, and and we did it on the opioid and, and and fentanyl crisis. It's gotten wonderful results. We did it on mental health. But one thing I also know is you never design the system perfect the first time. So you need to design in flexibility, so it can be adjusted. Not. Five years down the road, but sometimes a year or two down the road. Hey, we tried these five things on our mental health initiative. These three worked. This one is getting different results than we thought. And this one over here is a disaster. Okay, great. So I can take that one that doesn't work, mm-hmm. pivot the money and the funding somewhere else. I can have enough flexibility to adjust the rules maybe around that, that fourth one. And the other three we're going to double down on. So
1: not a problem, but sort of, a uh, uh, Governor, that we have this screwed up incentive system where the instinct of a lot of people in politics is to weaponize problems instead of yeah, solve them. Right.
2: Look, if, if individuals, whether they're congressmen or senators, governors who are presidents, you've got to understand how the systems work. And I think they weaponize them when they don't understand how they fundamentally work. And because of that, they can't offer real solutions to the table. Therefore, it's, well, this piece of paper says we're going to do X, Y and Z. Now, the system might be massively more complicated than that, but they don't know. They didn't t- take time to do the work. It, it's so frustrating. I think if everyone had to do homework, that it wouldn't be as weaponized
1: isn't it also the fact that for a lot of politicians, a lot of people, politics has been around it all my life. You know, job number one is getting reelected. And it's a little bit like our social media right now. You get rewarded for outrage and resentment. You yeah, don't get, I think they're missing
2: you, the opportunity. I look,
1: I mean, I'm not endorsing that. I'm just no, of course, diagnosing. Look, it, I can count know?
2: on the number. No- I, I, maybe it's zero. I don't know. I don't get outrage. I don't I don't show public resentment. I get frustrated, of course, but I always stay positive and I'm always willing to go back. And I'm so proud of the results I get. And you are rewarded. I am proof positive that you're rewarded for digging in deep and making decisions, even when people don't agree with me, right? I'm in a very purple state. How is it that I'm getting so much done? How is it that I won in 2020 by 30 points in the whole nine yards? I'm not here just to tout how popular I am, but I'm telling you the reason I'm popular is because I get stuff done and I treat people with respect and I'm always positive and optimistic and I'm always trying to promote in in a not rainbows and unicorns and and you know fairy tale type stuff, but the real successes we've had. And I also own the problems. I have no problem saying, hey, I tried something and it didn't work. Right. Yeah. We did. I, I worked with police officers to do um, a, a, a justice reform bill. And um, and it, it it hasn't really worked. It, it, we we're all on board with it, but it really hasn't worked. And I'm the first one to step up and say, guys, I signed this thing and it ain't working. So we need to change the system. Let's own it. Let's engage the stakeholders, find the problem. And I'm telling you that type of transparency. Again, I go back to that builds public trust and the folk and people want to look you in the eye. And the reason people get rewarded is gerrymandering. The biggest crisis in this country that really you can't put the genie back in the bottle is the fact that we have so many districts that are now gerrymandered, so few that are really uh, up for grabs between Republicans and Democrats. So it forces on a gerrymandered Republican district, it forces that candidate to go further right. I'm not afraid of the Democrat. I'm afraid of someone primary. Right, right. Same with, the, same with the left. And so therefore, our candidates are getting driven further into their extremes, and therefore they, and they get rewarded by that, right? So I think that's more why they get rewarded because of the gerrymandering
1: thing. New, New Hampshire in a purple state gives you the opportunity to operate the way you want to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, What happens because you've been pretty uh, you've been pretty straightforward about uh, your uh, at least looking at the presidential race, considering it. Uh, What happens when you move your your show into the national arena and you have to navigate a Republican primary that operates a lot more like those gerrymandered districts? Uh, than it does the state of New Hampshire.
2: I think traditionally it might have, but I, I, I do think that di- th- that's all up for grabs. I really do. And so if I if I were to decide to run, look, I'm, I'm, I, it was never really something I had thought of before. A lot of folks are, are talking about that's very flattering. They're more talking about, how are you guys doing it? Like, how is it you have no sales tax and no income tax and and none of these taxes and, and all this efficiency in government and the most personal freedoms and the lowest poverty rate in the country and the strong, so how are you doing this? And so and and you do it all in a purple state. You do it all with a completely divided house. Like that should lock you up, and you should be able to get nothing done. But we're very successful. So I love promoting that and talking about it. I'm a. I am I do not want to say. I, I don't want to use the word brash, but look, these are the ABCs of me. I don't really couch my words for anybody. Mm-hmm. I after you've managed a pandemic, I'm like, look. You, you you like it? You don't like it? I don't. I don't really care. This is just what works worked for us, and I'm also open for the feedback. So that has resonated with folks around the country in a, in a pretty interesting and positive way. So I'm going to keep doing that. I talk to business groups. I talk to political groups. I you know, I, I've talked, I went out to, good story, I went out a couple of years ago now, I talked to the Republicans party in, uh, in California at their annual meeting, and it was right after they had lost the recall. And uh, they, they were all down and depressed. We can't win, we can't win here. I said, of course Republicans can win in California, and they can, by the way. I said, but maybe you should start by, you know, not putting up the most loud, con- ultra-conservative can- Republican candidate
1: in California.
2: I mean, know your audience, people, right? So on the, on the subject, so, on the yeah. subject,
1: uh, you know, I think Mitch McConnell would have appeared in front of the state capitol there in a gold lamé tutu if you had agreed to run for the United States Senate. And I know everybody's going to have a hard time probably now getting that image. That out is of their image head. is burnt yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, right. A whole range of people urged you to run, felt that you had that you had a best chance to defeat Maggie Hassan, the Democratic yeah. senator. And you said no. Why? Oh, boy.
2: Well, um, I was really, I was going to do it. I really was. I was, uh, a couple things. Former governors had run for the U.S. Senate, but remember, almost all of them were term limited. I wasn't term limited. So they weren't just asking me to run. They were asking me to quit what I'm, I love to do, and frankly, what I think I'm really good at, and that's being governor, and what I can not just defend the interests of New Hampshire against a lot of the progressive stuff coming out of Washington, but also promote the opportunities. I can just do so much. Uh, it's so much of a different job, and I love doing it. And again, I, I wanted to go to the Senate, not just to be a 51st vote, but to drive on things I think they've ignored, whether it's immigration reform or fiscal discipline and balanced budgets and all of that. But I didn't get a whole lot of sense that they were going to be on board. And I, I realized pretty quickly, look, uh, in about six days, I'm going to be really frustrated with you. And then um, you're going to get really frustrated with me for the next six years because I'm not going to let up. And I just I didn't like I, it wasn't the right step for me. And and I talked to a lot of these Republican senators and I've said it publicly. They were like they're, they're my friends, but they were like the worst used car salesman in the world. They were saying all the wrong things. I had one senator tell me how much vacation I was going to have. I'm like, Are you what's the matter with you? I'm I'm the governor. I'm 24-7. I don't get vacation. And you're bragging about how much vacation you get? Do your freaking job, man. It drove me it really drove me nuts. I had one senator you um, <laughs> tell me that, you know, balancing budgets, you know, American public doesn't really care about that. It's not important, Gov. It's not important. I said, are you a Republican or what? Are you a conservative? Do you care about the responsibility of managing other people's money and 30 trillion in debt? But they didn't. And so it was that kind of stuff was very frustrating. And um, I realized it just it was definitely not the right path for me. Could I have won? Of, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I definitely could have won. That's not the issue. But it really just wasn't the right path. And uh Look, uh, so I, I, you see what's going on now, and, and uh, you know, does anyone ever say, "Boy, I, I, really regret not joining the circus"? No, I don't. I don't regret yeah, it at all. What did all, you think about you what kidding? you think
1: about the uh, spectacle last week in the house? So here's
2: my two cents there. That issue of those twenty individuals kind of holding things up—that was going to happen. It just normally happens behind closed doors, right? That actually happens all the time. But McCarthy's one mistake was thinking he had the votes and coming out and bringing it to a vote when he really didn't have those votes, so those debates and discussion happen with Democrats and those debates and battles happen with Republicans, but it, we usually keep it in closed doors. It was transparent, and I love transparency. They did get something done that was constructive. they moved through their rules very constructive so it isn't like they gummed up the works permanently. It was a bit of a spectacle because I think there was a miscalculation on um, on the on the early votes there and uh, and it you know it's a little bit of airing of dirty laundry outside the house but it, everyone has it. It know.
1: doesn't it also expose the fact though that because the margin was so small that you do have a group that has a, more power than their numbers in that caucus.
2: Well, well they think they do and and they've been given that in this process but look is there are you telling me McCarthy can't work on a bill. And let's say, let's call it, let's go back to immigration reform. You can't say, look, we're going to work on this thing and we're going to get a lot of what we want. If you guys don't want to come along, I can find 40 Democrats who are just looking for these two or three pieces. That would
1: be, that would be the smart play. That would be the right. And he would be rewarded for doing it.
2: America would stand up and and absolutely.
1: America, the question is whether the Republican base would, you know, when you didn't run for the Senate, you got a candidate there, Don uh, Baldick, and you were you you <laughs> said him when he was running. He's not a serious candidate, he's kind of a conspiracy theorist type of candidate. And you ended up having you you supported him. In the general, yeah. Look, I'm going to support him over. Look, I'd rather have someone I disagree
2: with a little bit and uh, and on issues like that than, than Look, Maggie is is a nice person. I get along with her. We're very cordial. She lives in, like on the other end of my neighborhood, for goodness sakes. But
1: she just wasn't showing up for like six years. Was not showing
2: up. So I'd rather have someone I disagree with, but will actually show up for the job.
1: An election denier, a conspiracy theorist. You, you're you. That would be more. Hey, I tried everything I could to get the Republican over the line. That's the, the other, you mean in the primary. You know, you remind me of a story. Uh, Jim Hightower, who was this uh, populist Democrat uh, uh, agriculture commissioner in Texas, was in a debate with his opponent, and the opponent said, You'd vote for the devil himself if he was on the Democratic ticket. And Hightower said, Yeah, but not in the primary. <laughs> That's it. There you go. <laughs> We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more of the Axe Files.
0: Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app.
1: And now, back to the show. I'm really intrigued with whether what you are offering is translatable. I mean, your position on abortion, for example, much more moderate than the position of the Republican Party.
2: Yeah, you know, that's an interesting one, if I could, because look, for years, you uh, the example say, let's say you have a pro-life governor, right? I'm pro-choice, but let's say you have a pro-life governor. And the pro-life governor would say, well, I can't ban it, of course, because the Supreme Court won't let me. So, you know, what are you going to do? Well, now you can if you're really pro life you can ban it and maybe that's what your state wants right mississippi or arkansas one of those southern states maybe maybe that's exactly what your constituents want and that's fine but and then you have kind of the more pro abortion that are just you know a little bit all of everything all the time which i'm very much against where you can get an abortion up until the day of birth and yeah. i did horribly disagree with that
1: i think that's sort of a straw man but yeah go ahead yeah
2: but then you have then you have the rest of us Right, I have a twenty-four week ban. I have no problem with that um, because that's the third trimester. Some states might have twenty or sixteen weeks, but they're all offering choice.
1: That's in road
2: territory at twenty-four
1: yeah. weeks.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So look, uh, if if we get to the point where most of the candidates are just debating over the weeks, I mean, I'm you know, I I, I don't want to speak for other governments. You
1: have some states with really draconian yes. bans.
2: Yeah, right? and that I think, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not there at all, of course. But um, and for those folks. Uh, while I disagree with that vehemently, if those governors want to stand up and say, yeah, we banned abortion. Well, that's right. That's the pro-life candidate. And and God bless him. He's going to stand on it. And that's his position. Great. We can debate it out. Uh, the rest of us are going to have some form of choice. What's the, you have 16 weeks. I have 24 weeks. We're still offering choice. So I just think the definitions are going to get a little bit gray. And I think it's going to be very tough uh, for some of these governors, whether it's on a national stage or not, to start saying, well, I'm pro-life, but yeah, I'm not going to ban it. Well, but it's your choice. It is it is now your decision to decide, to decide where you can go.
1: It's also going to be tough. You know, I think one of the things that happened in 2022 is you have very, very active pro-life, anti-choice organizations that demanded people to sign pledges. Yeah, uh, This was before the court threw out Roe.
2: Yeah, that didn't work so well. And
1: then Roe got thrown out. And all of a sudden, you're stuck with this. And you saw people trying to move away from the pledges that they sign.
2: Yeah, yeah. Look, look you just got to be honest with people and transparent and own it and not overthink the politics. And I have a lot of people that might disagree with me on, on the 24 weeks or, or whatever it might, or, or maybe they're pro-life and they want me to be you know, more pro-life and all that. I am what I am. And we can talk about and debate it. It's not the only issue out there. If you're a single issue voter on that issue, well, I guess you've made up your mind. So we'll move on. But there are so many other things, and especially in New Hampshire, so many other successes and good government, good management practices. At the end of the day, I I believe in the individual. I might disagree with them, but I believe that they know best. I believe in the private business. Do I think government should be punishing private businesses? Hell no. Look, I hate I think wokeism is a cultural problem. Very much so. But the government isn't here to solve a cultural crisis. That never works out. You need the society to really take that on.
1: Because we're a podcast, not a TV show, I can't have subtitles saying to people, I think he may be referencing Governor DeSantis. I'm sorry, who? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> no look no look ron ron is a friend and i think he's a very good governor i do i think he handled the uh, most recently the hurricane he, he did a phenomenal job with that but no we have very different styles very different approaches and it's not about ron obviously there's a, a clear contrast there but there are a lot of other republicans and democrats that i would call big government authoritarian that say look uh it's my way or the highway if you, if the locals don't do what we want we'll just pass along make them do it
1: no 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 you're now telling the voters well, wait would you would you would just 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 be clear yeah. are you fitting him in in this category because he did sort of you know he's thrown his way around quite a bit in that state against corporations yeah i just that I, disagreed i'll just say I, did, I just disagree with some of the local moves he governments made. that disagreed with him
2: yeah, I just I will, I'll just say so. I, I, is that big?
1: Is that big government authoritarian? Yeah, in
2: those instances, it was sure. I just disagree. It doesn't mean he's not a good governor, but I would disagree. I'm sure I've done a lot of things that he he disagrees with, and that's fine. You know, we we work together. I my wife doesn't agree with me on every issue, but the point is, is I I do believe in the sanctity of a private business because I ran a private business. I sweat out other you know shareholder money and making sure my employees actually had a paycheck at the end of the day, and I wouldn't would never want the government coming in and telling me how to run things or who I can hire and fire. And all of that sort of thing, um, I do believe in the free market, right? If a private business is doing something that, as a governor, I fundamentally disagree with, I really believe the free market will take care of it. If if people don't want to um, uh, partake in that business and give them their business, they won't, and that business will shift. You're already seeing that, actually. If you on a bigger scale, like look at BlackRock or Bank of uh, 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 Bank of America, right? Those are kind of they they kind of took these ESG woke policy type pushes. And a lot of people said, we're not we're not doing that. We don't want to do business with you. And now they're kind of pivoting back. So we'll see where it all shakes out. But the point is this, the free market. Let people decide. These are private businesses. I might not agree with them, but it's not the government's role to punish people or individuals they they disagree with.
1: How much damage did Trump do to the Republican Party in 2022? In 22 Oh, oh, well, yeah. W-
2: with what he did with January sixth affected twenty two. Sure, the yeah. candidate
1: we were talking about, for example, Baldacchini ran sort of with the imprimatur of Trump. Other candidates did around the country. The Trump candidates, particularly when they embraced the election denial, did poorly. Yeah, yeah,
2: no, that's. There's no doubt that affected. You know, the biggest problem that candidates had was Democrats were what, very, very good at predefining the candidates um and before they had a chance to introduce themselves and so we had republicans that might not have even all been all that extreme but were defined as extreme so as soon as they hit the general election they're like oh no 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 you have it all wrong and if you're doing that in politics a place of defensiveness in your campaign you're you're all screwed up you you're, you're going to have a really hard time winning uh you know winning your race so the democrats were very good about influencing that so
1: you're saying that these candidates checked the box to get through the primary
2: yeah yeah, they did. They checked the box. They didn't understand. They didn't trust themselves to be good enough candidates without checking that box. And, and it can be done, especially in a place like New Hampshire, frankly. Um, and, and they kind of missed, missed the opportunity to be themselves. It's kind of weird that way. So hopefully we learn from that as a party. Hopefully Republicans said, look, it, none of it matters unless you win in, in november right you got to be able to, to close the deal um hopefully we learn from is well, isn't
1: that isn't that the conundrum of the republican party which is it was i'm hoping it's no longer you've got certain imperatives that re- require you to move to you know like talking about presidential races okay and this predated trump i think it's worse now uh, with trump social media and so on but you know uh, i ran uh, two campaigns uh one uh uh, uh, John McCain was on the other side of the other, Mitt Romney, both of whom turned out to be friends of mine, by the way, after those elections. Sure. And my, my perception of those races, both of them, was that uh, those guys had to so contort themselves to try and satisfy the activist base of the party that they lost the most important thing that you have to have in a presidential race, which is authenticity. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I think you've seen that on a wider scale right now. A lot of it is the fealty that Trump demands, isn't it?
2: Yeah. No, it is. I mean, I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly on the concept of authenticity. I'll tell you, I don't think we've—it has been a prerequisite. I think it should be. I don't think Biden was very authentic. He would never engage with the press. Um, he was the more moderate candidate, to be sure, in the Democrat Party, and then ultimately uh, deemed and played as more moderate against—versus Trump in 20. But uh, if you're not answering in the press, you're not being transparent, you're not being authentic. And it's, I always had an issue. I think that's where—whether someone like myself or other candidates that just— uh, These are the ABCs of me. I'm not trying to overly think it. I'm not trying to convince you of something that you don't already believe. I'm just trying to open your eyes to the opportunities and, and the possibilities and the hope and the inspiration of bringing good conservative ideals of limited government and local control and low taxes. Those foundations are still a huge opportunity to, to drive on. I don't think you need to contort yourself. Other They, they do traditionally, but I don't think you need, I, don't, I really don't think you need to. And I think it's, it would be refreshing, even in the Republican Party and the Republican base, to find someone that isn't contorting themselves. You know who didn't contort themselves? Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And he was rewarded for it in 16. <laughs> like that guy was who he was, and he, he let it fly. No,
1: I would argue, and I, I disagree with you on Biden, because I think whether or not he did press... I think he is who he is and people kind of know who he is and I think people knew who, you know, Obama was. They knew who George W Bush was. Uh I, and and yeah, nobody ever said, "Gee, I wish Donald Trump would just speak his mind." Yeah, right. It's exactly. never no, something. Yeah, he
2: didn't he didn't he had the base so he didn't have to, but he would he was never going to do it anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that he was he played the character that he is and and people saw him as as authentic. And yeah. obviously that is something that you're hoping you can sell.
2: Yeah, look, there's no doubt. I I, I think we can sell it, uh, whether it's locally or nationally. I think people are, are dying for it. I think that's people think with all the social media and all the political stunts and all of that and the lack of getting stuff done in Washington, they think it's just a bunch of BS. But I'm trying to let people know it's not. It doesn't have to be. Uh, some folks make it about themselves, but I, I like to think that not just myself, but there's a lot of governors and other folks out there that do understand it's not about us, right? It's about a better system. And it's about inspiring folks to be part of a bigger team, tithing their time and being part of that process. And we may not agree. We I may win some, I may lose some, but hopefully with what I bring to the table, I win, I win a few more than, than not. But by God, I'm, I am i am going to get something done. I'm not dragging myself and my family through this public scrutiny and this public process, um, you know, just. To, 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 just for my own sake, I'm really doing it because we can move the dial. And in New Hampshire, we have. And we're super, super proud of what we've done in the live, free, die state. We stay true to those ideals, and we can have our battles, but we never let it drag us down and, and stop the process.
1: I had Gretchen Whitmer on this podcast last week who was making a similar argument about governors, basically. The governors yeah. have to get things done, and that experience is, is, would be really valuable. For someone,
2: Yeah, we're 24-7, and, and, and every governor gets that for the most part. I mean, all 50 of us really do get that. You're, if there's, God forbid, there's a shooting or a flood or a disaster or whatever it might be, our phones are literally always on. There's no vacation for a governor. I mean, even when we take a day off, we're not taking a day off because you can't get away from the phone and the whole nine yards of it. So it's, it's a challenge. I don't have a lieutenant governor. I don't want a lieutenant governor, by the way. We, we're just fine with that one. Um, less government is more. But um, so, you know, the buck stops here. And and I, I go back to being accessible and allowing constituents to kind of voice their concerns and complaints doesn't mean we may wave a magic wand because we're always on the clock and we have infinite power. But we can definitely open the doors of opportunity for those folks. And that's a, another key point. The government is not here to solve your problems. The government is, that is not the role of government. The government is my job is to create as many doors of opportunity for you or your family or your business, whatever. You're having a, a challenge with getting mental health services. I'm not going to tell you what service you have to get at what time and where, and all, I'm gonna, but I'm going to create as many doors of opportunity. So you do you, you find the right path, the, the opportunities of education. You look, New Hampshire has some of the best public schools in the country, incredibly proud. But the four walls of that traditional classroom might not work for a couple percent of kids, especially low-income families who, who don't have a means for, for other options. So we have a school choice program that focuses on providing you know the state funds, however those families want to use those funds. I had families coming up to me going, no one's ever asked me what I thought my kids should have for education, but now I'm being offered that. I'm not telling you what path is best for you, but I'm saying if you need another path, here's the four or five other options that, that you might have. That's the role of government. And so I, I try to redesign my systems to be super flexible with as many doors, but I am really not tell- here to tell you what door you have to walk through. You do you, man. Live free or
1: die. Yeah. Of course, when you walk out that door, you want to have a road to drive on, and there are certain things that government has to do that. Presumably you honor that role. But we
2: make sure all the roads
1: are paved really well. So whatever one you want to take <laughs> is going to be a smooth ride. I know everybody would like, not everybody, many would like to get away from Trump. I can't let you get away from Trump. He's sitting there. He says he's running for president. He's still the front runner in most of the polls. Other polls say it's, it's dissent. He's the only the... guy running,
2: though. <laughs> I mean, it shouldn't surprise anyone he's the front runner. He's...
1: But don't you think he has a, a core base of 35, 40 percent that are going to stay with him? No, not thirty-five or forty percent. No, 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 no.
2: He has a core base. I, I'm going to guess of twenty right now. Really, and look, he won the New Hampshire primary with like thirty-five percent of the vote, right? And mm-hmm. that, so you know, and and it's only gone down, and he's only lost a lot of those independent voters and all that kind of stuff. So it's not getting any better. And when he announced that he was running for president, it was really at what you could argue his weakest political point, right? So I, I don't, I don't think there's any undecided voter over former President Trump that's going to say, you know what. Yeah, he's uh, I've I've been debating it back and forth, but he's my guy. Now, nah. if you're not with him now, you're not you're not going to be with him. And as more options are brought to the table and as those discussions happen, I just don't see him as as leading the charge. Now, if you get 15 candidates in the race and they all divide up the vote, then yeah, he could could he win the nomination? Yes, he could. I don't think he will, and he definitely uh, I'm pretty convinced he absolutely could not win in in November of 24. So, let's learn from 22 as Republicans and say we got to get behind a winner. It, all that matters is winning in in November and uh, of twenty four, and let's find a candidate that we most align with and can win. But you have to have the and and can win, and yeah. uh, and I think that's where the opportunity will come. So
1: you uh, just just uh, you yeah. so you think that Trump cannot win a general election? Uh, that's correct. Why? Why do you think? Do you think he can win a general election? Hey, whose podcast is this?
2: You're David Axelrod. No, you're, no, no, you're, you're no, the no, genius
1: no, no. No, I, I, I don't think so. But I'm interested yeah. in your.
2: No, look, because it's it ain't getting any better. Because by the way, because he didn't let, Can we start with because he didn't win last time? right? So he didn't win last time. Uh, he didn't get nearly enough done. As a Republican, I got frustrated. When he did something well, I was the first one to say regulatory for- reform was great. He was the fastest to get the vaccine out. People think he couldn't do it. Um, he did the Abram Accords. He did a lot of really great things. Um, he tended he tended to step on his own successes with some with some nonsense uh, the next day. But um, he did do some successes, and, and I support him in
1: 16, and I support him in 20. But we're just moving on. And I think think most people have that mindset. You said he did some nonsense that stepped on the things he did. Yeah. You wouldn't include January 6th as not as part of the nonsense. Oh, no, no, right? no. I'm talking about like while he was in office, right? Shouldn't that be disqualifying? Like I'm running, what if you got stuck with him as a candidate the third and time? And I think I, that would I, be
2: disqualifying the, for a lot of people. Yeah. That's why he couldn't win in November.
1: And how about for you? Would, or does the Hightower rule still pertain? Uh, I let's call it the, I like the high
2: tower rule. I, I, I like going to that. Yeah, no, I, I would look, whoever runs on that Republican stage, uh, I'll support the nominee. I have no problem saying that. Um, because I do fundamentally think there's there's opportunity there. And if they were to win it, I just don't think he can win, but he's not going to win. That's not going to happen. We're, we're now playing in really extreme hypotheticals. I just don't think he's going to get there. I think he gets in the race. I think he gets out of the race. As soon as the polls don't look good for him, you think he's going away quietly? You think he's going to accept another loss? No way. He's going to start screaming that it's rigged, or blah, 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 whatever it is. He's going to start firing at DeSantis and everybody else, and he's going to uh, he's going to try to, to burn down the house before he, before he leaves. But I, I see that that could be a path. It'll be pretty interesting to see how it all plays out.
1: But I, I see that that really could be a path. You're such a smart and a reasonable person. Part of being smart is understanding that you can't say, I'm not going to support that guy if he gets nominated, and then run because you'd be disqualified by a lot of voters right away. But it's really hard for me to see how given everything that's transpired and all of what happened leading up to January 6th, the impact of it, the devastating effect it had on the Republican Party, uh, forget about the country, going in 22. And I don't know how anyone says, hey, I'm going to give you, any reasonable person would say, I'm giving him the keys to the car. Yeah,
2: look, I... I I, I don't think anyone wants to give him the keys. I don't think he's going to have the keys. It's just it, that, to your point, exactly. It's just it's just not going to happen, you know. So, and and again, we'll see who gets in the race. I don't. People say, well, too many people will get in the race, and as the kind of first, you know, first in the nation primary in New Hampshire, I'm kind of the referee, if you will, whether I get in or not, whether you like it or not. You know, that's kind of my role a little bit. And I don't mind if a lot of people get in the race. What I will mind, well, I will insist on, and others will as well, is the discipline to get out. The discipline to say, this ain't happening for me. I'm only pulling at 5%, 7%. I'm not going anywhere. And I think a lot of these candidates who have effectively been running for like two years, and they're not going anywhere. They got to just kind of drop drop it and, and move on, whether it's today or, or six months from now. So it's not about who gets in, but it, I think a lot of us will be on the front lines to make sure everyone has the discipline and, um, and is, uh, you know, even if it takes a little public shaming uh, to drive folks out of the race. Scott Walker yeah. had this idea. You know, when he dropped out back in, you know, back in sixteen, he said, "Okay, we all really, a lot of you guys really need to, to drop out." The thing, the difference is, and I love Scott; he's great, but um, he didn't have the leverage. I, I'm, I'm, and I'm heading up the first in the nation primary, and if I'm not running in the race, I'm going to have a lot of leverage, and I'm going to use it uh, to clear to clear fields that that are just silly. And a lot of folks have God bless them; they've been running for a long time, but they're still pulling at like three percent. It's like, okay, I
1: don't think, by the way, being uh, the governor of the state with the first in the nation primary is necessarily all that helpful to you because if you no, I don't it, think people so say you're the governor, well, it's a hometown win. And if you don't win it, they'll say, hey, he was the governor and he should have oh, won. A- yeah, it'd be the death nail on me. No, it's,
2: it's not necessarily an advantage at all because it's really about the top four or five candidates that come out of New Hampshire um, in terms of, of the filtering that, that we like to do. So, no, I would, uh, it, it's not necessarily an advantage at all. And I would tell all the candidates, whether I decide to run or not, go run in New
1: Hampshire. You need yeah. to. You need to do well. The, the The Republican Party being a bunch of uh, social Darwinists have this winner take all rule uh so you know as opposed you, to you, super delegates you, you get well, no, <laughs> That's I mean a brilliant but, rule, but I mean, you know there's proportional delegate uh, allotment in the democratic primary, so you get thirty percent, you get thirty percent of the delegates, or roughly. Something like that. Do you think it should be more like that in the Republican primary? Should it be that you could get 25, 30 percent of a crowded primary and get all the delegates in a state? Well,
2: it's up to every state, right? The, the states dictate Would their process. Would you encourage
1: states to rethink that?
2: Mm-hmm. I, haven't really, I don't know. I, gotta be, I, I haven't yeah, really sh- thought about that. You should about think that. about
1: it because it probably help you.
2: Yeah, well, I suppose it would, but but no, I, I look, I, I do believe in states' rights, and I, and look, I I think that I'm just going to be frank, with all due respect, I think the Democrat primary process is a freaking joke, right? Like think think about this, right? So. Joe Biden has said, we're not going to have the Democrat primary, first in the nation primary in New Hampshire. We're going to move it to South Carolina, where voter turnout was 16 percent, where a bunch of elite Democrats picked the winner. Do you know in 2020, David, there was no primary on the Republican side in South Carolina? There was no primary. They just said, Donald Trump, you're, you're the winner. We're not even going to allow challengers. They're going to do the same thing for Biden. They're not even going to let the primary happen. They're just going to anoint him. So they've a, Biden has said, let's move the first in the nation primary from New Hampshire to a state that is not going to hold a primary. So now you have Iowa. And uh, last time I checked in 2020, the Democrats completely flubbed Iowa. They're still yeah. counting it. Well, I think it, that's right? part of why. Yeah. Well,
1: yes, but I think it's one of the reasons why it's not the... Opening stance. Yeah. And to now make,
2: you have yeah. New Hampshire, uh, which, again, Biden says he's not going to play in. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Then you have South Carolina, which, again, they're not even going to let the primary happen. Then you have Nevada. Uh, Nevada, I think they're still counting votes from two months ago. They, I don't even know who won over there. So the first the states for the Democrats are going to be a mess. So what does it mean? a challenger is going to have an open door.
1: you got Michigan and Georgia. Oh, Michigan
2: well. and Georgia, fine. But when it comes to New Hampshire, we're holding ours first. I don't care yeah, what Joe no, Biden no, says. No, no, I hear you. I hear yeah. you.
1: Listen, we, we're running out of time, but I just want to ask, how are you going to make this decision, and when do you think you have to?
2: Look, I, I'm going to keep traveling the country and keep talking to folks, and we have a, a, a group called Live Free or Die, and we're raising some money to really get the message out about our, our record of success and what New Hampshire's all about. And I spend a lot of time with the younger generation Republicans or potential Republicans trying to— Democrats are great at influencing. We we tend to advertise and it's so wrong. Democrats, we got to get Republicans influencing that group to open ourselves up and make sure that they know that they can be part of an awesome team. And I take a lot of responsibility there. You know, I think all the candidates will have to start making hard decisions in the July, August Timeframe, and and so that there's still plenty of time for all that to play out. Politics will go up and down three times uh, between now and then, and uh, you know we'll see what happens. It's going to be a great ride on both sides. I think you're going to see a challenger uh, for Biden. I think you're going to see eight plus candidates on the Republican side, and then you know we'll see how it all kind of winnows itself out. I mean the debates will be a lot of fun. I got to tell you, I'd love to debate everybody. I love debates. I just Mm -hmm. have a ball on those things. If anything, I'll just make sure that the ratings are really, really good.
1: (laughs) We'll have some fun. Yeah. Well, so the, the headline here is that you're going to run around talking to donors and explaining that living free and dying is expensive and so they need to kick into the live free and die. <laughs> I wouldn't put it fun. that way. I would say, hey,
2: <laughs> come to—you know, if you're from—like, you 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 grew up in New York, is that right? And yes, you're yeah. in Chicago now? Yeah. Dave, yeah, you come to New Hampshire for like 10 minutes, it'll feel like you got paroled. Listen, man, <laughs> I,
1: I have to tell you, I covered—as a as a newspaper man, I covered the uh, New Hampshire primary. I loved covering it, uh, the New Hampshire primary. I loved— the attentiveness that people showed to yeah, candidates. Fun. I had 15-year-old kids tell me they couldn't tell me who they would vote for if they could, until they met all the candidates. That's right. So uh, I think that people take their responsibility seriously. Yeah.
2: And I tell anybody that wants the first in the nation primary, come to New Hampshire, watch how we do it. In...
1: Not a very diverse state. That's one of the issues. But
2: Well, when we have some of the highest voter turnout, we have the most... Yeah, I think we do have a diverse state. Oh, yeah. it, more diverse than South Carolina, where Elitists pick the winner and almost nobody votes
1: well what's the point of diversity if you don't if people aren't engaged yeah i suspect the turnout will be higher uh if not this election if there's no competition but you know when there's competition we had plenty of people turn out i think when uh when obama and hillary clinton and john edwards were running in South Carolina I'd
2: still uh, South Carolina. I'm not trying to pick on South Carolina, but it's always one of the lowest voter turnout states. If you can yeah. do it like New Hampshire does it, where it's not about the party bosses, it's not about the money or name ID, everyone's got an even shot. Um, you know, come and show me. But uh, until then, New New Hampshire is we no. are the first in the nation department because we've earned it. And and I challenge anyone to uh, to step up and try to match our metrics.
1: Well. I'll be there, Governor, when you go down to South Carolina and tell them that they ought to be more serious about voting. Yeah, so, uh, I would
2: love. It. I'd love. <laughs> look, there's the opportunity. Get more people to vote. Really allow them the process to take place. Do you Do you really think they should not have a primary in South Carolina when there's an incumbent? Do you think that's fair?
1: They're going to have a primary in South Carolina
2: because people are going to run in, Nor- in in New Hampshire. I, listen, New I County think if Joe, if if Joe yeah.
1: Biden if Joe Biden runs, my guess is that. There will be less of a challenge than you think to him. And, uh, you know, obviously he's popular in that state. You think so? You think they won't challenge him? I do. Oh, I I, disagree. I've I've said that consistently. Very interesting. Uh, You You know what the
2: liberal elitists say about Joe Biden behind his back? Exactly what they said to his face—that he was an out-of-touch old white guy that didn't represent—that doesn't represent the future of the progressive party. I just can't imagine we'll that they're see. going to let that stand. I maybe I, may I don't—it's don't your team, not you mine—but I just you, can't you imagine. You probably
1: hang around with more liberal elitists <laughs> than I do. But hey, listen—I so appreciate. <laughs> oh, this has been great. I hope Thank that you, this David. is the first of a lot of conversations that Anytime. we'll be watching with interest. Anytime. So, wait—are you a Yankee fan? Or you like no a, no a, a, a I grew Cubs up hating fan. the Yankees I was a Mets fan until 1977 when they traded Tom Seaver oh, to Cincinnati yeah. and now I'm a I'm a Chicago fan and I have season tickets on both sides of town oh that's because great because being from not from here I don't have to make tribal choices there so you go I just like being in a town that has baseball every day so yeah, I'm rooting for awesome. both those teams so you come out we'll go to a game
2: I love it I love it thank okay. you for the time buddy really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, brought to you by the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN Audio. The executive producer of the show is Allison Siegel. The show is also produced by Miriam Finder-Annenberg, Jeff Fox, and Hannah Grace McDonald. And special thanks to our partners at CNN. For more programming from the IOP, visit politics.uchicago.edu.